Listener Production. Happy New Year, everybody. This is The Grill. Greg Rust, Shane Jacobson and Jeff Willem with you for an hour or so of auto industry chat. It is quite likely that we'll go completely off track at some stage. That's a good thing. Um, Producer Ed will make sure that there's no fighting over the steering wheel. A big thanks to all of you who listen. We have had some lovely feedback in recent time. We hope all of you have had a nice break, a good Christmas. Uh, One of those messages, incidentally, was from Carly Ruggieri from Europanels in Geelong. Carly was our member guest uh, a few eps back. Um, She thought our December show was one of our best yet, and that is because, I think... Uh, Jeff is nailing it. Shane and I still have the L plates on. Hopefully we will get there, Carly, uh, at some stage. You are only as good, Carly, as your last show in this business, whatever happened to Rusty. Uh, We are reaching far and wide, too, with our connections in uh, our auto industry colleagues across the ditch in New Zealand. Kia ora to all of you. So we're getting a bit of feedback on that side as well, which we really appreciate. A big hello to our mate Shane Jacobson, first up, who looked like... Based on what I saw on socials, were you auditioning for Lego Masters over the break? <laughs> are, you, are you the biggest kid in your house? It looks it. Hey, mate, and uh, just great to be back to start with. Yeah, no, we've got a family tradition. You're right. I, we did a post on Instagram, believe it or not, before Christmas. I, um, we do practice Lego building before Christmas and I get more Lego and then, of course, we get Lego and sometimes Santa gets Lego for the kids. So, uh, yeah, that's that's I make out it's for them. Um it's got nothing to do with them. I just like buying <laughs> Good work. We hope it's a big year ahead for you uh, too, mate, either behind the wheel or uh, in the, the show business side of things. We want to say a big welcome back to you too, Jeff. Did you get a break? Uh, and I say that because VACC is full steam ahead with this move to a beautiful new headquarters in the months ahead. It looks terrific, Jeff. It does. Look, I came over the, the bridge this morning, looked over to the left-hand side. You can see the building it's behind those big silos with Don, you know, Don Small Goods on it as you drive in from the airport. Uh, great building, fit for purpose. Uh, if you didn't look at that building and say, I think it's about cars, <laughs> uh, you just need to move to another state. Um, it's uh, we're, we're really looking forward to it. And, and the issue here is is that we're not building a building that looks like it's, it's a stuffy old building. We're building a building that looks like it's about the future of the automotive industry. It's about technology. And it's about introducing people into the building and, and, and making sure that this industry, the automotive industry in Australia, showcases itself as a forward-looking industry for the next 100 years. We are looking forward to, I think, a potential launch or unveiling maybe around March. That is when we are pushing for uh, you, Shane, and I to maybe <laughs> squeeze into the PM's car. We'll keep you updated on that uh, that story that has been Rusty's unfolding. Rusty's a dog with a uh, bone with, the, with this. <laughs> I am, I am. I can't wait for it. Hey, coming up in this episode, David Brabham, yeah. all the way from the UK, from sports cars, Formula One, Le Mans, and Brabham Automotive. Lots to chat to him about. Uh, the final VFAX figures for 2021. Uh, there's a bit of a, a bit of uh, meat that we've got to get through in this one because uh, so much happened. The mighty million, a little analysis, including a milestone win for the number one manufacturer and a Tesla tally too. Yes, we get 
a much better sense of how they are performing in the Aussie market. Now, some of you have asked for some two-wheel convo as well. That is not lost on us. Um, we've got that covered for you. Our member guest is John Buskus from A1 Motorcycles Plus. We will clear out the glove box mail, bit of that over summer, um, and acknowledge an industry long-termer as well. We've been asking uh, you for shout-outs in recent time for people that have been doing a, a long-term, very good job in the automotive industry, and we want to shine a light on that. But we cannot begin 2022 without Shane's official wave of the green flag, our first edition of Cop This for the New Year. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a funny one, mate. The cop, this <clears throat> is actually a moment that happened yesterday and I realised, um, said to my daughter, do you want to, you know, the boys were, you know, out there running around on the property doing bits and pieces and I said to my daughter, how'd you like to do a little bit of a dad and daughter thing just together, the two of us, it's only a two-seater, so there's no arguments there, the boys can't come and we'll just take the MG for a cruise and, and she said, oh, I'd love to because it's been designated as her car, so I got it for my wife and and she knows in time it'll become hers, so we, we drive over <laughs> Drive over Mount Macedon, and it's a beautiful drive through the trees canopy and everything else. And we got to the other side, and I said, "We'll go back through Wood End." And and I'll be honest, it's it's nowhere near as a beautiful drive. And she said, "Oh no, no, can't can't we just go back over the mountain and down that way?" And I said, "No, no, we can't." And she said, "Why not?" And I had to go. Well, cop this. We just can't because it'll run out of brakes. She said, "What do you mean?" And I said. <laughs> In the EH and in the MG, we can only go over that way. We can never come back because it'll run out of brakes. So I had to literally say, we'll cop this, we'll run out of brakes. And as I said that, she said, what do you mean you'll run out of brakes? You have to, is it like the power? Do you have to keep paying a bill or they turn them off? <laughs> so anyway, I had to explain brake fade to my daughter while cruising around in the MG. So, yeah, so for anyone that does know that that's what happens in old cars, it does. So, yeah, cop this. I only go over the mountains one way in those cars. But, but a beautiful, beautiful drive I know you would have um, you would have enjoyed it. Now, hey, while we're on this whole cop this thing, uh, what about this for an effort? Doug McKenzie began working for Bruce Parker at HM Gem in Dandenong in 1972, and cop this, he is still there. Now, there are other wow. long-termers in this business, in- including the current uh, GM, who's chalked up 35 years. HM Gem is, a, is an engine reconditioning business, these days mainly working with um, heavy vehicle, marine engines. But Bruce Parker actually did some work for Alan Moffat and Harry Firth back in the day, which was um, uh, amazing. So the company was actually founded by Bruce. He's an ex-SAS commando, and Bruce is a VACC member as well. Now, um, Bruce... And the team have given us, because we we, uh, we asked for it on the quiet, Doug's number. So why don't we give him a call? Doug McKenzie. Hello, Doug McKenzie. This is Greg Rush, Shane Jacobson and Jeff Willem from The Grill Podcast. How are you? Oh, I'm well, thanks. And you? Hey, this is fantastic to get you on the show. Congratulations. Am I right in saying you are going to clock up the 50 this February. That is an amazing achievement from all of us, mate. Congratulations. Thank you very much. We were in the introduction talking about the fact that Bruce, I think, has worked with some very good operators, some cool cars along the way from Harry Firth and Moff and so on. Have there been some some standout moments for you as well? Share, share with us some of, some of yours. Uh, look, not really. I've always been in the sales department and, um, and yeah, it, you, you are why I'm here and still here and, and it is about the people and that starts from the top too with Bruce. He's just an amazing person. 
um, and how he does as much as he does, I just can't work it out. Um, and I just think that if I can help him in this side of the business and to make things a little bit easier for him, that's why I keep coming to work. It obviously speaks volumes about about Bruce and the whole team there and probably yourself, I would say, Doug, that people want to stay there. It's Shane, by the way, Doug. Mate, I, I've got, I'm sure you've heard this a few times, but so you started work there t- two years after I was born. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> Thanks uh, for that. <laughs> yeah. But it must, it must be something else because, you know, I'm assuming there's people younger than me working there who would, who would realise that you've been working there their entire life and two years shy of all of mine. Um, mate, it would make you a wealth of knowledge. To, to the young kids, I'm curious, these, the apprentices you guys are, are dragging into the yep. business, are their ears open to the amount of knowledge you would have? Because it would be beyond a wealth of knowledge. I mean, you've watched the business go, grow and change course uh, you know, in so many directions over 50 years. Are, are their ears open? Their ears are open, and I guess it's all part of the training too because we finish up with a good bunch of young kids and that want to be in the business, and I guess that's the most important thing, if they want to be in the business, we can certainly help them along that way and they will learn a lot as they as they go through it. Doug, it's been fantastic to get you on the show. I would, I would love to say that we have a plaque or something to hand over. Uh, what we do have, mate, is some canned applause, which we will weave in. <laughs> but but um, importantly, to get you on for a chat, a lot of people are often daunted when they deal with the media, mate, and you were straight into it. So uh, congratulations uh-huh. on, the, on the forthcoming milestone. Uh, well done for passionately... Um, staying uh, with a company for that that sort of time because it is it is a rare story, but it's a beautiful one to to share with people and and um, and we're pleased that you've you've done something that's uh, been close to your heart for so long. Congratulations! No, that's right, and that's what makes it all worthwhile too. Love getting out on the open road? Of course you do. With Bendix brakes, you can put your foot down with confidence from tailored disc brake pads, shoes and rotors to cleaners and lubricants. The Bendix range is trusted by top mechanics and drivers right across Australia. Whatever you're after, Bendix has the solution to keep your brakes running smoother and safer for longer. Don't just ask for brakes. Ask for Bendix. Hey, speaking of brakes, you know where I'm going, Rusty. It's time for breaking news. <laughs> yes, but first, but first well, tonight. Every time you do that, <laughs> it still makes me laugh. VFAX <laughs> has wrapped up for 21. Um, before we get into the annual sales results, Jeff, how did the market perform just in, in December? Because we were we were hoping we'd, we'd click over a certain number and we thought it might have been a quieter end to the year. What did it look like? Well, December, look, it did. Quieten off a little bit. Uh, we sold 78,400 vehicles in December. Um, that's 17,000 fewer um, than last year. And I think we need to really focus on that. And if you go back to 2019, we sold 84,000 vehicles. Um, so this is the weakest December sales result since the global financial crisis in 2008. And it does represent the third month in a row of declining sales. We had the 11 months, we had good growth, and then we've had the last three months, so I'll have tailed off a bit. It's not inconsistent, though, with with, uh, other sentiments around retail spending. What we saw in retail spending last year were things were heating up really well. We got towards the end of the year, uh, Omicron came in, and it sort of froze the market up. People panicked, Greg, and I think they started to get very nervous about employment, very nervous about long-term uh, uh, savings, 
and we just saw that thing tighten up. And I, we didn't expect it, but, you know, December uh, for the motor industry started to get a bit worrying and we didn't, you know, we didn't, you really need to be selling over 84,000 cars a month and we slipped under that. So not as good as we would have expected, but that's what it was. Grant Denyer is coming up on the show next month, so I want to do the big game show intro to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the new vehicle sales result for 2021, and did we get to a million cars? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> well we, we, we got to a million. Uh, we nearly got to a million and 50,000, just under, um, which, again, up from last year, last year, 916,000, under a million. So from that point of view, that's positive. We were pitching 1.1 million, Greg. We didn't get there, but, you know, we got somewhere between it. And I think that uh, November, December figures were really what froze that up around, uh, you know, COVID. Um, so, the, however, the 21 figures were an improvement on 2020. It's still a long way, though. Uh, this is really important. It's a long way from 1,062,000 vehicles we sold in 2019. It's a long way from 1.153 million vehicles we sold in 2019, and it's a long way from nearly 1.2 million vehicles we sold in 2017. So whether we like it or not, uh, we sold 1.2 million vehicles in 2017, and we haven't got back there yet. And uh, that that's troubling, and which means in real terms this year, we were 140,000 units down on 2017. Now, that's a big gap to make up, which means next year, even if we went over to 1.1 million, we're still 100,000 units down. So some of this, uh, Greg, is about what's happening in the community because we know the population rate uh, grows. Well, it did grow until we stopped importing people uh, recently. Um, but we know that Something's happening, and I don't know if it's got to do with public transport, but something's happening in terms of the volume of vehicles sold per capita, and it's slipping, but my number for next year has, has definitely got to be over 1.1 million. Toyota has led the competition now for nearly 20 years, Jeff. Australians just love this brand, don't they? Well, you can't you can't blame them, really. It's a well-manufactured vehicle. 19 straight years. Let's put this in perspective, though. They've been making cars for 84 years. So when people look at things like Tesla, there's been, they've been making cars for 10 years, and you look at companies that have been making companies since 1937, it's not surprising they've got a good product. They're still the largest manufacturer globally. They make 10 million cars a year. And if you think about the fact we make 80 to 90 million cars a year globally, um, you know, depending on the conditions in the economy, that's still not a bad uh, position. Why? Why do people still buy Toyotas? Well, they're well engineered. Their resale values are still very pos positive. So I looked at some data yesterday and in 2021, the Toyota Prado still had a resale value of 88% after three years. How about that? The RAV4, the RAV4, did well, the 2018 models are still holding 78.1% of their value. The passenger car sales generally are, are in decline, but the micro car segment is actually up massively. What's going on in, in that area? They are. So passion, it's funny when you talk about passenger cars coming back 0.2%, we've got to remember that we've almost, uh, we've sort of swapped the passenger car for a large SUV, but that, that's what's happened in real life. But in, in terms of the data, Passenger cars have slipped a bit there. 
But if we look at some of these small cars, the Mitsubishi Mirage and the, uh, the Kia Picanto, I mean, they're cracking little cars. They're 1.2 litre engines. They're under 20K. And there's a whether the government like it or not, Greg, and, you, you know, I sometimes say things that some people not agree with, but here it comes. Um, a lot of people, whether we like it or not, aren't going to get on a train and they're not going to get on a bus for a long time yet. If they can go and buy a car for, for under 20K that's going to be able to get them up the shops and back, get them into the city and back, they're not going to drive to Mildura in this car on a weekly basis, but it's going to get them around. If you actually do the sums and you pay $50 a week to get on train and you actually amortise that over 10 years, I reckon it's break even. The, the upside is, is you don't get COVID in your car. So I think people have sat down and said, 20 grand, 50 bucks a week on the train and the tram. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go and buy this car. Yeah, I'm going to put up with, I'm going to be in a traffic jam. But do you know what? I'm in my own car, got my own rubbish in the car. These little cars, they're three, you know, some of these are three-cylinder cars. They'll go for 10 years. They're like sewing machines. They're not going, they're going to, the motors aren't the things that are going to pack up on this. The door handles come off before the motor packs in. Yeah, and, and I, I had that moment um, only just a few weeks ago, actually. My wife's friend um, uh, wanted to speak to me and she actually rang me and said, look, sorry to bother you over Christmas. She said, oh, we're looking, my, my daughter's about to get a licence and we're looking for a car for her. Um, she said, I was wondering... Um, what sort of, you know, we don't want to spend the money on a new car. We're just wondering what sort of second-hand car you would recommend. And exactly that conversation we're having, I said, in all honesty, I mean, good luck trying to find a reasonable price second-hand car at the moment. I said, you're actually better off to get rid of something brand new, you know, that, that will smell like a new car because it will be a new car, uh, but your check won't smell like a massive check. You'll actually write a small one. So she's actually going, they're actually heading towards the uh, the Kia Picanto, Picanto you were just talking about, or Picanto, depending on your pronunciation. But uh, yeah, I, I let them there and they were and they were actually kind of blown away. They, they came back and said, oh my goodness, we had no idea. So yeah, it's, I don't think people do realise as much as we're sprouting those figures about how much they cost or more to the point how cheap they are. I don't think a lot of people, unless you're looking for these cars, and we know because we, we love the world of motoring, but I don't think people realise that's how cheap it is. Everyone thought, as we know, the whole window Excel that, you know, um, what was it, 1399, you know, everyone knew that that story. But as you know, you, you, the car worked and they're still running and now they have, you know, kind of a, they're all running around doing rally circuits now, aren't they, but with those things. But these these things have everything, don't they? That's the difference is these things have everything in them that you want and they will run forever. So I can see a future promotional photo for the grill with Jeff, Shane and Rusty jammed into a Fiat 500. Let's move on here. <laughs> Dear Bath <laughs> um, <laughs> Of course, Shane, we would only go top draw for you, my friend. Only go top draw for you. Uh, Jeff, a couple to finish here on the year that was 2021. Um, this is what's going to be the, the focal point for our, our episode to, to start the new year. Um, we've got a bit of news in relation to Tesla too, because you've chatted about it. We, we weren't quite sure um, what sort of an impression they were making on, on the marketplace in, in numbers terms. Now, the, the estimates are 10,000 cars... In Australia, um, where does this put them in a, in a pecking order sense? Well, I walked around the VACC offices uh, last week, Greg, and I was speaking to some of the team there, and I was challenging them. I said, uh, you know, Tesla, where do you think they sit? We sell 69 different brands of vehicle in Australia, a couple of hundred types, but 69 different brands. Where do you think they are? Oh, 50, 62, uh, nut, Tesla sit at 19. Crazy. Really? My prediction is that in three years, they'll be in the top 10. Now, how about that? Now, let me give you some data to back that up. 
So if you go to the top of the pecking order in volume sales in Australia, Toyota sold 223,000 vehicles in Australia last year. That's a big number. 223,000 vehicles. When you move down that table, once you get to number six and you go seven and eight and you get into Nissan and Volkswagen, you're around 40,000 units. So if, te- if, if Tesla sold 10,000 units last year, and let's presume they're going to double that sales figure every year, we go 10, next year's 20, the year after's 40, they're in the top 10. Listen to you, Jeff. New to broadcasting, but you are all over it. This is like this, this is like the record charts, isn't it? Tes- Tesla, Tesla with a bullet to number nine. Wow. <laughs> I love it. They're going to get that. Yeah, he's the Molly Meldrum of the grill, <laughs> isn't he? Isn't he? Hey, final one um, on this because uh, you talked a little bit about um, uh, electric a minute ago. Battery electric vehicles—they continued to climb in sales as well, didn't they? They do. Look, you know, when we talk about pure electrics, you know, we sold uh, without the Tesla figures is about five thousand one hundred. 50 sold. You add Tesla in, there's about 10,000 sold there. So you've got 15,000 electric vehicles overall, um, which is, it, look, it's a slow start, but we know it'll build uh, year on year. There's a great range of vehicles coming through next year and the year after. I don't think we would ever guess that we were heading up. So this year, I'd, I'm, I estimate that we'd sell 100,000 hybrids in Australia. I don't think we could have guessed that. That's where we're going. Um, the plug-in hybrids um, for last year that came in at 3,372, I think plugins are going to start to take up a lot more space than that because people will work out, well, if I do want to go on a long distance, if I get a plug-in and it's still got a motor in it, I can go a long way. And there's a, there's a sophisticated attitude that's going to be on the back of that. But, you know, 10 out of 10 for Australians, I think we'll do 100,000 uh, hybrids this year. That means we're on the way. Hey, Rusty, before we get away from electric vehicles, before we continue, don't you have a mate, and look, if you can't name them, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is going to be good, yes. Yeah, but didn't you tell me a story about someone upgrading one of these electric things to go quicker? Is that right? Was that you that told me that? uh, There is a uh, a rumour that you can obviously... You can obviously upgrade, uh, quote unquote, chip them up. Um, can so, you? I, 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 well, apparently, I haven't done it. I don't have an electric mountain bike, but apparently, you can. And the story went: uh, they did a bit of homework, uh, found out a bit more on on uh, Facebook, and it was like this is hypothetical. This is not where where they went, but it's like you know, meet me in the Port Melbourne church car park kind of thing. Rolled in on <laughs> rolled in on the mountain bike, stuck the the US, this you know, stuck the chip in or the USB in. <laughs> was all done for, you know, whatever it was, 100 bucks within 60 seconds, and he was off, and all of a sudden what was governed at 32 k's an hour might might go for above 40 now. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and just uh, not to get you in any further trouble, uh, Rusty, and may or may not that have been a notable uh, race driver that people would know that did that? I have no comment, Your Honour. <laughs> Time to move on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're moving on. We're moving on. I get it. <laughs> Denso's Iridium TT twin tip plugs are designed for long distance and heavy use with great mileage and performance. Engineered with a 0.4mm diameter iridium centre electrode and a 0.7mm platinum tipped ground electrode. The Iridium TT delivers more complete combustion, giving you superior fuel economy and increased power. Find your part at denso.com.au. The team at Denso help us fire up the feature interview in each ep of the grill, and today's is quite a story. Having a famous surname can be both 
burden and blessing in some ways, particularly when you are the son of a triple world champion. The late Sir Jack Brabham is a legend in Formula One and remains the last driver to win the title in a car he constructed, a car bearing his own name. That is a feat we are unlikely to ever see again. Now, motorsport proved a very powerful influence for his children. His younger son, David, is our special guest today. His own career is diversely impressive. He has raced a seriously cool list of cars in his time, and he has passionately pursued the revival of Brabham Automotive. I am very pleased to say that he's on the line from the UK. David Brabham, welcome. Happy New Year. G'day, mate. How you doing? Can we start from the beginning? I mean, despite the incredible uh, family lineage, it was never certain that you would go into into motorsport. What was David Brabham going to do if that go-kart didn't come along at the at the right time? Well, I mean, to be fair, I was being groomed. It probably wasn't a life choice, but I was certainly being groomed to be a farmer. Um, having been sent to an agricultural boarding school at 13 to learn all about agriculture and then went on the, on the farm at 16, went to a wool classing college in Wagga Wagga. And, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty much my destiny. Mate, you've, you've raced some epic cars uh, over time. I mean, anyone would be stoked to drive, you know, one or two of the cars you've had a chance to drive. I mean, there's the Panos. I mean, anyone who doesn't know what that is, Google it. Um, just think Batmobile if you can't be bothered Googling. But, you know, winning Le Mans outright in the Peugeot, LMP1, um, F1, Bathurst in supercars and super tourers. I've got to ask, is there a tale of a drive that you went, oh, I was so close and I just didn't get a chance to drive that or go in that race? Is there any drive that you would love to have had or have on your CV that's not there? Probably IndyCar, I guess. I'd love to have done the Indy 500. You know, I mean, I, I did go there as a spectator, um, went went there with Jeff once, and it, the, the atmosphere is just phenomenal. The track is amazing. Uh, yeah, I think on my on my if I look back and go, you know, what what event would I have liked to done or series? You know, probably Indy cars. I think it's a really cool championship, and you know, my dad raced there, my brother raced there, my nephews now race there, and uh, it's uh, yeah, it would have been great. But look, I can't complain either. Like as you say, I've I've driven so many different cars and championships and racetracks around the world, and you know, made a career of it for 30 odd years and uh you know when i left australia in 1988 i i didn't know how long i would last you know whether it'd be six months 12 months or whatever so you know the fact that i i stayed over here and and had a career and raced in america for you know sort of on and off i guess for a long time but predominantly had a a 12 13 year stint over there which i absolutely loved in in sports car racing and um, and obviously the chance to race at Le Mans 18 times. So, yeah, mate, I'm not complaining. Oh, uh, yeah. Look, David, uh, I, I, by the way, um, for those listeners, uh, I, I watched the Brabham story film the other day. What a fantastic journey and it's a fantastic film. For those that haven't seen it, uh, have a look at it. It's a, a great piece of work. Um, one of the things in that film, David, you know, you and your partner and meditation and, and, you know, becoming aware of your own self is a big part of your life. And I, I've got to ask you this question. You're hurtling down towards a corner. You're in the car. I mean, is that a sense of meditation in itself or is that all out of the window? It's just survival and we'll meditate after five o'clock. I, I think there are times when you get into that kind of state for sure where, 
you you in a way you stop thinking too much you just you just allow things to kind of flow and you can you're making decisions but you're not making conscious decisions in a way you're, you're just doing it um and you know there are times when you're in the race car that doesn't quite flow as well as as other times um for for, for many reasons sometimes those reasons you haven't got a bloody clue you know what i mean it's just the way it is um but yeah i mean i there, there are times in my career when i look back um where you 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 kind of like observing what you're doing you know you it, it's a completely different place and everything flows and that's when you do your best stuff it, it's it, it's such a physical sport right game of game of strategy teamwork um but i love how you've harnessed or or um focused on this this side of it at, at times and how beneficial it's been for you and that kind of leads me uh, now that you've brought up the the adelaide story i mean that could be one i'm not sure is there a yarn where you just felt totally at one with the car might be a particular race or place one that really sparks some some fond memories in that sense what's the car what's the race yeah i think um you know we talked we talked about being in that that kind of uh, state of awareness or or you're detached you're kind of watching yourself um and the one that really sticks out for me was 2004 at Le Mans I was in a like a P2 car they had 675 class back then um and I was in qualifying and the year before I was with Bentley and and although I finished second I didn't feel I drove as well as I probably could have done, you know, I walked away going, well, you could have done better there. So I worked really hard on improving myself in 2004 when I got back to Le Mans. Um, and I really got into that mind-body thing going on with meditation and visualisation. And I really kind of tried to use that as a tool. I knew the 675 car was probably never going to finish, but I could have a bloody good go at qualifying, you know, and um, I, I, I had everything set. I was in a really good place and got in the car and I had put the qualifying tyres on and I went out and I'd visualised a clear lap, which is near impossible at Le Mans. You know, I think I ever achieved it once and this is the lap I'm about to describe. So uh, I came out um, past the pits ready for the lap. Tyres were, were switched on, they were ready to go. And I saw this car come out of the pits in front of me and I thought, oh, no. And then, of course, he just right in the middle of the road got in my way and I, and I couldn't believe it. It's like, you know, all this prep I'd done <laughs> and this, this idiot just came out in front of me dawdling in the middle of the track, you know, and I, and I was furious, you know what I mean, absolutely furious. And I blew my top I, right next to him. I, you know, sh my fist went up in the air going, what the hell, you know. I, I said a few other words as well, which I won't repeat. But... Um, as I was going down the Molsan straight, I thought, hang on a minute, you know, this is where that awareness comes in and, and you go, well, this, this state of mind is not going to achieve anything. So I had to think of it differently. And then I thought about, okay, how am I going to think about this differently? That's going to completely switch my emotions. Uh, and then I saw it as a gift. I thought, hang on, no, hang on a minute. I, I, I had a clear lap in my head. It's not this lap that's going to be clear. It will be the next one. So I had utter faith that life had orchestrated me to have that lap, but I, 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 I went too early in my mind thinking that was going to be the lap. So the rest of the lap going slowly because I had qualifying tyres, I completely 
changed my state of mind, you know, where I I appreciated the situation, I was ready, and off I went. And then that, that lap was a clear lap. I was just watching everything, what I was doing. Um, and I went from P11 overall to P1 overall in a 675 car, um, which, which, you know, I, Lisa was, my wife was in the, in the pits and, and they saw my name disappear on the, on the, on the uh, leaderboard. And it was quiet. You know, no one, everyone's going, where the hell's he gone? Because no one thought I was going to be up the top. And then someone said he's up the top, P1, um, which surprised me, surprised everybody. But it, when I think back of how I was in that car on that lap, and then the second lap, I had a purple sector for sector one as well. So I was going even faster. And um, if there was no traffic the next lap, but there was, I had to abandon the lap because there was just, there was no way. Um, You know, it would have been really fascinating to see whether or not I would have completed it or or ended up in in Le Mans town somewhere with an accident. You know what I mean? So (laughs) um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And, um, you know, we ended up, P3 overall, the Audi threw like multiple sets of qualifying tyres to beat my time because there was no way they were going to have a 675 car sitting on pole position with the two Audi works P1 cars sitting behind me. You know what I mean? It just, it wasn't never going to happen. So we ended up qualifying third. So uh, the, the third place was great, was great for the team. Uh, it was it was a big shock to the to the whole establishment that this lone six seventy five car is sitting up the front there, um, but it was what I, my takeaways were the sort of mental place that I was in that allowed that to happen. You, you've had to process when you think about it as well some some tough stuff, a lot of tough stuff over time in your in your career. I mean. Motorsport's done a huge amount in the area of of safety improvements, but but it's dangerous. We we know it can be that way. It's it's on the pass. You lost your, your teammate in in Roland Ratzenberger on one of the the darkest weekends in the history of the sport, Imola '94, which you know tragically saw the passing of Ayrton Senna too. How hard was that to come to terms with, and and how did you? and the Simtech team do it because you're in that front line, that that leader role as a driver. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, when you know when I look back, there are parts of that weekend I just don't remember. It's like my brain went delete, um, pro- probably to help me, let's say, get through uh, life and 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 move on. Um, you know, obviously, it was a massive uh, shock to everyone what was what was happening, not just with Roland, but that whole weekend. And then to sort of pick yourselves up. I mean, you know, we were we weren't like. Um, you know, a top team. Uh, we, we were a, a fledging new team that you know ha- hardly had any money to get to the next race. You know, it was it was it was a bit like that. So to then to have an accident on your doorstep like that, with everybody's emotions and and the whole world looking at you as well. You know, because it had been a long time since Formula One had any sort of death at a race meeting. That was for sure. So um, you know, I think. What I found is when I when I because everyone said to me, "What are you What are you going to do? You're going to race," and I just didn't know. Your brain's fried, you know what I mean? There's so much emotions and and stuff going on, and 
And I said, well, I'll do the warm up, see how it is. And they, and, and obviously the, what happened with Roland, the front wing came off. So obviously I was a bit concerned that, about my car, but they, the, uh, you know, the team reinforced it. I remember Nick Worth, who's a very big guy, jumping on the front wing saying, it's fine, David, you know, we, we believe we've, you know, we've, we've made this good. And I put my faith in, in, in what he was saying. Um, and I did the warm up, and I and when after the warm up, we actually did okay in the warm up, which was probably I don't know why. Maybe we had, you know, empty tanks, and and the team wanted to you know get things going and show a bit of pace. I don't know, but we we, we were sort of mid pack, which was a bit unusual for us at that time. Um, and I came into the pits. I just saw how it, the darkest darkest cloud started to lift. It started to bring the team together. Um, and I felt, well, I've got to race for the guys. You know what I mean? As a team, we've got to keep this going. So I, I did end up doing the race. And you build on that for the next race and the next race. And, of course, we had um, Andrea Montemini have a big accident also at um, Barcelona where his neck fell off because he wasn't used to Formula 1 again. Um, and he, we told him to come in because his pace had dropped. And he said, no, one more lap. And then his neck went and went off on the last corner and, and you know, smite into the barrier and the, the front end's all destroyed. And, and Nick, Nick, uh, Nick Worth's legs just went to, to butter. It just, he, just, he just collapsed. You know, it's like not again. Lucky he was fine. Um, but, you know, it's about, I, I think those sort of situations, you, you understand, well, you, you get more of awareness of, of team spirit and how important that is. Uh, because you can you can achieve a lot when you've brought all those people together, like-minded, um, you know, at, at work as a team. And uh, that that's what we focused on throughout that period. We wouldn't have got through it if we hadn't have done. I think it would have been quite difficult. What, what, a, what a great uh, story, David. Uh, David, can we just talk for a moment about um, uh, Bradman Automotive and... Uh, you know, I'm a body maker by trade and I've worked in automotive manufacturing. I quite like cars and I quite like the way that people build cars. Um, but, you know, for one, you know, it took you that huge journey. I think it was seven years, David, to, to rescue the Brabham name back. I mean, man, that, you know, again, that looked as though it took a lot of energy. It kind of sounds weird, doesn't it? It does sound <laughs> weird, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it's your own name and you've got to, you've got to fight for it. But, you, you know, perseverance showed through there and you've got that name back and thank God for that. But here's the question for you. So I was um, uh, worked at the Ford Motor Company in the transition program when they were shutting down Ford and Toyota and Holden here, terrible time. And I stand in front of uh, politicians all year talking about Australia building cars, Australia having the capability, you know, Australia reaching deep into its engineering DNA to build cars. Here you are, South Australia building cars. You know, that, that's a really interesting place to be where, you know, we've had an industry that's really, uh, you know, largely disappeared in terms of uh, bulk manufacturing, large-scale manufacturing, and yet we've here we've got, you know, a world-leading uh, niche car here. I mean, how big is this going to be? I mean, are, you, are we going to see a, you know, of course, you're not making Fords and Holdens, David, but you're making a fantastic car in Australia, in South Australia, uh, What's your vision for that? I mean, in five years' time, if we were sat here, David, having this conversation, how many cars are you going to tell me you've built? Well, I think, you know, we, 
when we started the journey, it actually was kind of created out of the very things that you just said about the automotive industry uh, stopping making cars in Australia. And of course, my partners, Fusion Capital, out of out of Adelaide, were a supplier to to Ford, Holden, Toyota for press metal components. And of course, their business was going to be affected because obviously things were changing. Um, and then they they started to look at buses, and then they wanted to to look at a halo project to show the capabilities, um, not just in Adelaide but in Australia as well, you know, as a whole. And so that that's where the the idea of creating Brabham Automotive and taking a, a high performance vehicle to to market. Um, and uh, you know we came together, you know, with I obviously had ownership of the Brabham name. The project needed a a brand, um, and that's kind of how I set the Brabham name up as 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 a brand as such. And we did a deal and created the BT sixty two. Uh, took it to market, and you know we've always said we're a niche manufacturer. I don't see us getting, um, you know, to to the sizes of of McLaren and and Ferrari. That's not really the ambition, but that's not to say that we may not get there. Um, you know, we've we've set targets uh, of building building the business, and obviously motorsport's been a key element of that, uh, with the BT sixty two turning into a race car to race. Uh, over here in the UK, uh, there's one in New Zealand now, uh, which just had its first race uh, uh, today down there, which is had its first win, sorry, um, down there, which is great. Um, and the BT63, which is the GT2 program, uh, we did the race uh, at the end of last year, the SRO uh, GT2 Championship. And uh, that's we've got a program that's going to be rolling out uh, for that this year, which is great, and uh, continue to build BT62s, BT62Rs, which is the road version. So that's our first step onto the road as such. I mean, it's still a track car on the road, but it's you know low volume and, and so forth. So uh, they're, they're the sort of foundations that we want to build uh, you know, a proper supercar for the road. That's, that's our ambition, um, you know, kind of low volume, niche, exclusive, you know, if I if I look back, we, we're certainly achieving our goals that we wanted to. They're just taking a bit longer than we thought when we first started the project. But that's that's normal, and and COVID obviously has an effect on the on the supply chains and and people's decisions. But that we seem to have got through that period, and and we we're still gaining momentum. So, you know, from a Brabham Automotive perspective, um, you know, we're 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 pretty pleased with where we are, mate. The cars look and sound amazing. I mean, it's great to see local IP and cutting-edge Aussie engineering in the finished product. Can I ask, has it been a reminder to other parts of the world about what we're capable of achieving or doing in this space? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're on the world stage with this with this product. Uh, obviously, the brand is well-known around the world, but, you know, Brabham Automotive is new. Uh, the BT62 has only been around for a few years and the 63 now. So uh, what's great, you know, the cars won races here in the UK. It's now won its first race in New Zealand. Um, and the momentum's building, you know, and I look very much forward to, to the European program uh, with the GT2, with the BT63. 
couple to finish here because we're we're nearly out of time. You've been very very good to talk to us for uh, for this long. I, th- I think to your point, um, your dad's great success, um, even though it may have been some time ago, that clearly never waned um, in Europe. What you achieve, what Jeff achieved, there's great cachet around the, the the Brabham name, and it's great to see that you are putting it back in the in the spotlight. Um, I love the fact also we should probably tell our listeners that. I think there is a grand plan with, you know, Jeff's son, Matt, getting back to Indy Lights in America. Your own son, Sam's done some racing. It would be great to think that there was a, an all Brabham uh, driver lineup one day together. And I think that that is something that you, uh, you have earmarked for sure. Um, David, there'll be apprentices that are, that are perhaps listening, no doubt some aspiring racers too. What was the, the, you know, what's the business? What's the university of motor racing that you've been right through perhaps taught you the most that you could you could share with them today a little bit of inspiration on that side hi you know that's a great question isn't it because you learn so much in this sport um and ultimately you learn more about yourself and what you're capable of is is the big thing you know it's very easy to very easy to put barriers up and think something's not going to happen or you lose faith in yourself or lose faith in a situation or whatever uh, and of course as soon as you do that 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 opportunity starts to disappear but as soon as you bring that belief back um, in yourself and in 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 life's in life sorting it out for you you know because sometimes there's things you can't control but things just happen you know, and you've got to have that faith that, that those things will line up. Um, when I came over to England, I didn't really have like firm goals. I just lived for the moment and did the best possible job I could do right there and right now. And I think that really helped because I didn't look at the future and go, oh, that may not happen. Those things just didn't really enter my mind. It was more like, here's the race. This is what I've got to do. Give it absolutely everything and shit will happen. You know what I mean? And it, and it did. You know, you, you know so um, it, it, you, you, like I say, you learn a lot about yourself, but you just, you've got all this opportunity to grow and get better at things and you reevaluate. I mean, see, we're all too hard on ourselves. I think it's fairly fair to say that we look at ourselves sometimes and we're a bit harsh on ourselves, um, which is fine, but you can't linger in that space. You've got to, you've got to move on. So, you know, it, it's about having belief. Hey, we know there's challenges in the automotive, um, you know, marketplace for for everybody. COVID's been been tough. Probably the key thing is keep the keep the dream, keep boxing. We love uh, what the car's doing in in both hemispheres for for that matter. And that lap of Bathurst um, a few years back is still etched in in um, in my mind. Um, thank you so much for talking to us on the grill, and all the very best, mate, for 2022. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you having me on the journey here with you guys. So thanks. As part of the VACC's Workplace Relations Team, the Occupational Health, Safety and Environment Unit provides members with expert advice and assistance to ensure compliance with OHS, workers' compensation and environmental law, as well as specialised advice on handling COVID-19 related matters. Services include OHS and environmental audits, green stamp accreditation, over the phone advice, as well as the supply of free OHS policy 
and procedure templates. It's just another great reason to become a VACC member. Head to the VACC website to learn more. VACC, you're in good hands. Time now for a word with another very valued VACC member. Our guest today is John Buskus, the owner of A1 Motorcycles in Ringwood. He's a past president and part of the VACC board. And this convo will blend some two-wheel chat into the podcast, which I know many of you have been asking us to do. John, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You've been in the motorcycle gang, uh, game rather for a long time now. Tell us about A1 Motorcycles. So A1 started in 1986. Um, my wife and I spent some time uh, on the continent on a motoguzzi, um, chatting to the people we bought from, which were Italian couple, uh, two, two sisters, but mum was an Aussie, and they, they spoke quite freely about the bad bits about the motorcycle industry and the good bits about the motorcycle industry, and we were all enthused by the time we came back to Melbourne to give it a go and start one. John, uh, you know, I was looking through the VFAX figures and uh, the, the, all the indicators are there. We've got an upswing in sales, off highways up 13.9, off-road bikes 18.8, road bikes 6.8, scooters 8.1. Across the board, it's a 13.4% upswing. John, how could you tell somebody we've been in COVID, uh, it's been, you know, it's been difficult, but... It's a, it's actually, it's boom time for motorcycles, John. Tell us about that. I don't know why that was at the, <laughs> at the outset. I'd love to be able to say to you, I, we could see that coming. So um, a, a while ago, we had another motorcycle shop. It was in Brighton and, uh, and actually it was Max Kerwin that said, look, just don't um, move away from Brighton. And I said, why? He drew a picture of the bay and he, I pointed to where Brighton was. He drew a circle around that. He said, half your PMA is fish. So Max is a pretty pretty smart bike. He said, half your prime market area is fish, move out of there. And that place almost sent us broke. Mm. Um, and the start of COVID, um, Helen and I said, well, Brighton didn't send us broke, but it looks like COVID's going to send us broke. Mm. Um, it was really quiet at the outset. Um, and we were looking at a, at a get out, you know, a secession plan of bailing out of A1 motorcycles. Yeah. That's what wow. we're looking at. And then we started to see a, a groundswell of, of interest and then a tsunami of interest. Yeah. The groundswell became just, I, I can't, can't describe how it has changed the way we do business now. We, we're, you know, um, I, I guess I can say this to, to the majority of people who are watching this are in the industry. We were folding our arms saying, well, it is $13,990. It'll be $13,990 because if I don't sell it to you at $13,990, <laughs> I'm going to sell it to you at $13,990. <laughs> You've had a long-term association with the VACC, having been a member since 1988, I, I think it is, and committee and board member for many years. What's so important, do you think, about belonging to an association like the VACC? Um, in the committee, it's like a brotherhood. So the, the good thing about uh, a bunch of like-minded motorcycle shop owners, it's like a brotherhood. Um, outside of the committee, it is similar to that because we all have like-minded problems. You know, the, the used car division, new car division, um, uh, farm machinery, tyres, um, every other division of the business that the, you know, the chamber has to deal with, we have to deal with the same sort of thing. So we do have a like So that brotherhood mentality, I, it, it's been fantastic. You make a bit of your own luck along the way, um, John, clearly. Um, an important part of the business is the work that you do for Australia Post. Tell us about that. 
Well, Australia Post uh, came with this, this is a networking thing through the chamber. Um, so one of those 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 members had had asked whether or not we would have an appetite for fixing Australia Post motorcycles, and um, uh, we, we we thought it would only be a few. Um, that has grown exponentially to now the three wheelers, which are electric. So they're not Hondas. So this business is a Honda dealership. Um, but working on on the posty bikes, they're different to the posty bikes that we have had in the past. The new generation is more scooter-like than than an off-road pared-down 110cc motorcycle. So these are more scooter-like. Um, I I believe it is now um, uh, it is. Probably the best, well, the best customer we have is Australia Post. The best uh, customer that gives us gives us work and buys spare parts from us is Australia Post. Hey John, um, when you're taking the seats and the panniers apart on those bikes, can you have a look at a letter? I sent my letter, my mum a letter in 1974 to the UK. <laughs> she, she never got it. She never got it. So if you find it under the mud guide, can you let me know? <laughs> Will do. Will do. Your passion, John, is unbelievably infectious. We love the. The commitment to the industry, both from the, the the body as the VACC, but also the the two wheel side of the the automotive business in this uh, in this country. To you and your team, we wish you the very best for 2022, and thank you so much for coming on the grill. All the best. Thanks very much, Greg. Thank you. Time to open the glove box, clear the mail. Bit of it in there over summer as well. Uh, firstly, a big thank you to all of the listeners for helping The Grill achieve a top 100 in the Australian podcast for 2021 as rated by Great Australian Pods. How good is that? A great effort. Um, we're really very proud of it. And judging by um, the listener numbers, the engagement on socials and so on, it's on the way up. So thank you very much. Here is one for Shane from Mick in Mentone. Oh. Love the show, guys. Um, I know you'll probably say it's best to uh, take the big jobs to a quality repairer, and um, rightfully so. But uh, what's the little service job in the uh, garage you absolutely love doing? And uh, which car or bike? Right. Okay. So, um, all right. Well, do I have to be honest? (laughs) (laughs) So I do think you should leave the big jobs um, to the experts. I also think... um, when you've got the kind of skill level I've got, you should leave the medium and the small jobs to the experts. <laughs> uh, but look, I, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, here's, here's, my, here's my thing of pride that I did over Christmas. It was time for me to get the boat out again and uh, the battery was flat. So I know it's one of those boring battery recharge stories. Um, but one of my mates was impressed. He came over and saw that I had a battery sitting on the ground next to my boat battery with jumper leads going from a battery that was charged across to my boat battery, then with a recharger onto the battery that I was trying to charge. And this year I just went, surely I don't have to buy a new battery, the boat, every year that only does a week's work a year. And I realised the rechargers I've got, um, when you when you meter it or put it on, it reads it as a fault because the battery says, well, this battery's got a fault, so you just can't charge it. And I thought, I wonder yeah. if I can trick this thing by literally paralleling another battery to it, leaving it on charge for a while, and then I took the jumper lead off, and sure enough, the battery went to full charge and it's fine again. So there you go. So I'm not a complete idiot. <laughs> I have to buy a new battery this year. Uh, I fooled this charger. Shane Jacobson, Auto Electrical, how may I help you? Uh, this one is for Jeff. Um, and this is a good one off the back of our discussion with David Brabham too. It's from Andrea in Broadmeadows. And Andrea asks, what areas, Jeff, of the auto industry can Australia perhaps become world leaders in, even if it's in a 
uh, a more niche area compared to the golden days of the big manufacturers and car plants here? Yeah, look, I think we've still got um, a fair group of automotive parts manufacturers in Australia. And of course, we've got organisations like Brabham Automotive that are actually making cars in South Australia. So it's a fantastic thing. Um, uh, aluminium casting, uh, small, high-quality parts manufacturer, we're good at it. Uh, we, we do distribute brake parts around the world from small manufacturers. So I think there's still room for us to be manufacturing, and we do manufacturing parts here. Um, look, it's not as good as it used to be when you could supply at one stage in Australia, there was over 22 vehicle manufacturers or knockdown kit manufacturers here historically. As that's evaporated, of course, it's harder to supply that market. But I think there'll always be somebody that's making small niche parts, uh, aluminium cast parts and metal stamp parts that get distributed around the world. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's going to disappear entirely, but of course it's, it's harder just because we don't have a local manufacturing industry for automotive apart from specialist vehicles and commercial. Keep boxing. We do make some beautiful uh, and very impressive stuff that still wows them on the world stage. We're almost out of time, but wouldn't be an ep of the grill without this. Blow it out your tailpipe. <laughs> still some of my best work, that intro. Uh, the point, <laughs> uh, I know blow it out <laughs> It's... Blow it out your tailpipe. I, I, I did a thing uh, for our last step just before Christmas, which was a little bit serious, and I'm going to get just a little bit serious again. So not so much a punchline or a gag uh, for a blow it out your tailpipe, um, but um, I'm going to call this one uh, Don't Blow It Out Your Engine Cover because there's a, an accident that happened to a friend of mine, and I've been in a boat that caught on fire, and I've got a mate who does um, boat licence training, and he was talking to me just two days ago um, about this very thing, which is just a reminder of the people, uh, the boat I've got now uh, is a Mastercraft, but I used to have a sleek line Countach with a 350 Chev. So you've got, you know, a car motor sitting in a fibreglass, you know, box. So the th- it's just a reminder of the people, only because I've heard some stories of some more people that got caught again. Before you start these things up that have sat still all year, just make sure, and even every time you get in it, we do it religiously. Me and my brother are kind of really hell-bent on this because some mates of mine got their boat um, rebuilt. I had an old boat, a bit of an old classic, and the same thing. It had, a th- I think it had a 308 in it, sitting, donk sitting in it. And they got the whole thing up. But the thing was there was a slight leak and the vapours are trapped underneath the fibreglass engine cover and they turn the thing over and it just goes boom. They're sitting on a bomb and all my mates got blown out of the boat quite a few years ago. The only good news was they got blown into the water and they stayed in the water and when the ambulance turned up they said the best thing you've done is stay in the water. But my mates got seriously burnt and seriously hurt. And I just found out again, like I said, I've been in a a boat that's done in a smaller way. Um, But just a reminder to people, it's that time of year, I I think we can talk about boats on this show. We love anything with a motor in it. be it petrol, diesel, electric or whatever it is. But just a reminder for those that don't know, lift the engine cover, just make sure if there is fumes in there, they escape before you start your boat because a mate of mine said uh, quite a few people got caught again this year. So mm. instead of saying see on the road, folks, if you can make sure you don't get injured in your boat, I can see on the water, folks. Great work and a very timely message indeed. You talked about it being your best work, that singing in the intro. I think it's Jeff's best work too and the staff of the ACC well. office. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't realise you could sing. Nice work, my friend. Uh, That is it for this episode. We are back in early February with more auto industry news. We would love uh, your feedback, your comments. If you've got a question for the show, info at thegrillpodcast.com.au. On behalf of Jeff, Shane and the team, we'll catch you next time. See See you, folks. Listener.